all God's people said? Amen. When you say amen, that just means you agree. You agree with the song. You agree with the praise. And God is worthy to be praised today. And we come here this morning to worship him, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And again, we welcome those that are joining us online. Thank you for being a part. We have a lot of people that, that listen online and uh, just are part of the congregation from home. And uh, we're thankful uh, for them. And uh, we pray that God will bless each and every one of you. And thankful for, uh, is, isn't California like the greatest weather in the world? Huh? I just woke up this morning. I was so happy. And I'm always happy, you know. But, man, the weather is so nice. I love this time of year. I love the fall season. And, uh, I mean, it's just nice. The weather's nice. And God just spent a little extra time making California beautiful. There's so many pretty places. I don't even think California's beautiful. And I love it. I've been to Dubai. And now the furthest place I'm going is Cabazon. I'm going to the Cabazon Mall, shop there. Somebody asked me if I'm going home to Michigan at Christmas or up to Seattle. I said, no, I'm staying home. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying where people love me, will take care of me. And, uh, and so, so very thankful. And, you know, we're, we're so blessed here. We're in California, which, you know, you know, we know it's a more liberal state when it comes to the politics and it comes to the, when we think about politics, it's just really, it's rules and laws that we have to live by. And I'm just thankful that at this point, we have the freedom to have a church like this. Amen. We have the freedom to have a Christian school. We have, a free, we have freedom to have a preschool and, uh, and enjoy. Uh, and then we have freedom to go into the public school. Brother Mike goes into Beaumont High School every Thursday, and uh, he has a Bible study, both lunch hours in a room, and so the kids can invite others to come and, and go, to the, go to the Bible study right there in the school. And so I think that's great. That's wonderful that, uh, um, that we, can, we can go right into, those, into the public school, we can go knocking on doors. And so we just want to keep that freedom. We want to keep that freedom. And so we as believers have to be aware, be alert. Brother Cranston um, is going to speak for us this morning. And he kind of represents us um, and helps us. Um, if you haven't signed up for the emails, he'll say something about that. But you know what? If you call... Like when I call the when I call the assembly when I call our assemblyman I call in the middle I call at midnight, nobody's going to answer the phone. That you just leave the message. Hey, I'm against assembly bill, five eleven, and uh, and I'm just letting you know that, and that's all you have to say, because they listen to what you say. If you're against the bill, they just he was sharing this morning they had a they had a bill in California. That would have made it to where every, I think it's along these lines, in the department stores, they could have no boys section and a girls section. The clothes would be just all for transgender section. You know, where are you, well, you going to go to the boy department, you're going to go to the girl department. No, there's no boys or girls. It's just all for everybody. And I think in California now, there's no husband and wife on any document. It doesn't say husband and wife. It says it and it's, you know, or something. I don't know what it is, but you can't. You can't put on there a husband or a mother or father. You just have to say person. That's in California. That's a law. You know? And so we want, as believers, we know God created Adam and Eve. God's given us the home. God's given us life. Um, and so we want to live biblically. And so when we find out, they'll alert you to bills that are non-biblical. And so you'll get the email, they'll give you the phone number, they'll give you just a little phrase to say, hey, I'm against Senate bill or Assembly bill. And, we, we, you know, we have a voice, church. Amen. We do have a voice. And we just have to be taught how to use that voice. Because, you know, I'm, I, I want to leave a heritage. You know, I want to leave by God's grace. I'm thankful for our... Our church, our school, we want to build a new gymnasium out there um, in, the in the next few years. 
um, to, I think that would be the final piece of the physical property that we would need, you know, for the for the for the generate for decades to come. After I'm in heaven, just with Jesus, right? That'll just carry on. But I also want to leave a, a place that's free. I want your children and your grandchildren, all the kids of our school, all the kids in our church, to have freedom. To, for the public schools to have freedom to be a witness and you know, to have a Bible club. And so we just got to be alert and we just got to let our voice be known. Just call and say, hey, I'm against that bill, a Senate bill or uh, assembly bill. And they, he'll, he can help you, the, the organization that he has. We can be organized to do that. So I'm, th I'm so thankful, Brother Cranston. He pastored in Iowa for many years. You know, Iowa is important in our country when it comes to voting and things. And uh, they really, by the grace of God, turned around Iowa. Iowa was, was very liberal 10 years ago. Not as liberal as we are, but uh, they turned it around and, and uh, we're just thankful. And uh, it's, it's a fight. When you get out there in that world, it's a battle. So you pray for him, and we're so thankful to have him here and his wife. He's gonna come and speak for us He'll share a little bit about his ministry then and uh, bring the word of God to us. Thank you, Brother Cranston, for coming. Thank you for all you do for America. And we welcome you to Mount Avenue Baptist. Amen. Thank you. Be good to be with you. Appreciate your pastor. Appreciate this church. Appreciate your support. You, your church supports us monthly. And uh, that is uh, a great blessing to us. And so that's what makes it possible for us to travel and to work. We're now working with eight states. As the pastor mentioned, I'm now doing this full-time. Pastored in Iowa for 28 years, and uh, but as of January 1st, I've now gone full-time with this ministry. We're in eight states. Uh, California was the third state we went into actually about five, six years ago, <clears throat> but it just got to the point where uh, we really need to put our full effort into this. We have a pastor at our church back home. It is doing well, and we're thankful that. We're still based in Iowa, and, uh, and so that's kind of the middle of the country, and we work with states on the East Coast as well, and so, uh, so we'll probably stay there. Plus, we have uh, so many good things the Lord has done uh, uh, there in Iowa. Really, the big change in Iowa is that three or four, or, or uh, ten years ago, there was three or four, when we first started going to the Capitol, there was three or four godly legislators <clears throat> out of 150 and uh, that's interesting. It's an interesting number. We have 150 legislators, 100 reps, 50 senators here, and we have 3 million people in the state. Here in California, you have 39 million people, and you have fewer assembly members. That's your representative side. Uh, and fewer senators. You have only 80 assembly members and 40 senators. So... Doing the math, in Iowa, a senator represents 60,000 people in the state, and a representative represents 30,000 people. In California, your state senator represents just under 1 million people, and your assembly members half that, just under 500,000, uh, which explains why you don't have to worry about the assembly member or senator answering the phone when you call. And uh, it's li real literally, your uh, capital up there is like a little Washington, D.C., and they big staffs, uh, multiple layers of staff in each office. In Iowa, uh, they, our, our legislators don't have offices. They have their seat in the chamber, unless they're in, the, and they have one clerk, and that's it. That's their staff. Unless they're in leadership, uh, that's all they've got. And so they are much more accessible and, uh, but leaving two things, leave that message uh, when we send out an alert of whether you're for or against, and then also let them know you live in the district. That is critically important. People who are outside of the district and they pay attention to where the phone calls are coming from, the area codes are coming from, uh, they can have 5,000 phone calls from outside the district, and I'm, I'm not being facetious, they literally don't care. They literally don't care. Uh, but 50 phone calls from inside the district, it's going to get, it, it's gonna, it, they're going to make a note of that. You know why? Because it's inside the district is where they get elected and where they get their job. 
And uh, it's just like at work. You don't care what the company down the street, what that boss thinks about your work. You, you care about the guy you work for. And so that's the same, the same thing. And so it's very important that you let them know the city. I live in the city in your district. And uh, so that's very critical. But, uh, but the difference, going back to Iowa, is we had three or four godly legislators with a biblical worldview out of 150 10 years ago. And today that number runs between 20 and 25 uh, on the low end, and maybe a little higher than that, and it has totally transformed uh, our legislature, the laws. We spent the first eight years fighting bad legislation. Uh, this last year, uh, we did not spend one minute fighting legislation that we as believers would consider to be bad, even though there were bills that were proposed, but in Iowa right now, there is zero chance of, uh, of bills that would that we would consider uh, uh, dangerous to our Christian faith or in conflict with Scripture, zero chance of those passing in the Iowa legislature because of believers. So you need to be praying that God would raise up believers to run for office. I know it's difficult, and I agree, more difficult in California than in, uh, in Iowa. You do have uh, somewhere between 6 and 10 out of 120 legislators, assembly members, or senators up at the state capitol who do have a biblical worldview. You do have at least six who are who I would say from the people that we have there at the Capitol who connect to them uh, would say are born-again believers. You need to pray for them. And they are standing up. Uh, for the most part, they are standing up against this agenda, this leftist, Marxist, uh, anti-Christian, uh, anti-biblical agenda. Uh, and so they need to be prayed for because they are in a spiritual battle the likes of which we really are not experiencing in our churches right now. And so, and that's true in all state houses. Uh, when you stand up and be pro-life on the floor of a chamber, whether it's here or even still in Iowa, uh, the, uh, the pushback from the left, from the media, uh, is, is intense and uh, vicious. And so, uh, so I encourage you to pray uh, that God would encourage those who are up there. That's one of the big things we do. Uh, pray they would stay. And then that God would increase uh, their number through the election uh, process. And uh, that God, and, and lines are being redrawn right now in the, in the states across the country. And so it's going to be a very different picture up there in 2022. And so pray about that. And if there is nobody in your district who is running for a particular office, city, uh, county, or state-level office, nobody you can vote for with a clear conscience, then maybe you should run. And I'm, I'm saying, I say, we need Christians to step up. And, uh, and there is no law against a Baptist being on the ballot. I've checked. It's not there, all right? So you're allowed to run. And, uh, but you know what? Think about this. If we don't have believers running, we definitely won't have believers in office influencing the lawmaking process. And the reason that's important, you say, well, what difference does it make? That's because we're only ever one bad law away from losing our liberty. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den because of a bad law. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the fiery furnace because of a bad law. In Esther's day, one bad law uh, was, was set to annihilate the Jewish people. Just one bad law. And those folks up there, what they do is they make laws. And uh, whether they're uh, 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 folks with a biblical worldview, whether they're folks with a secular humanist worldview, and we are living in a day when there really is a very sharp, clear divide. It's, 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 uh, I, I wish it wasn't, uh, wasn't that, that, uh, that clearly defined, but it is. And, uh, and so we need to be involved and have a voice. Sometimes folks say, well, Brother Cranston, don't you know that politics and religion don't mix? Anybody ever heard that before? And here's my response to that. Politics and religion are inseparable. You tell me your religion, your faith, what you believe about this book, what you believe about God, what you believe about spiritual issues, and I will be able to pretty much tell you who you're going to vote for when you walk into the voting booth, even though we one, never one time talked about politics. On the, on the flip side of that, you tell me uh, what you believe politically and what you, the kind of candidate you support and the issues you support and where you stand on the issues of the day, and I can tell you pretty closely what you believe spiritually and what kind of a church you would go to or not go to. They're inseparable. 
And it's a lie uh, of the devil to try to get us to think that the two have nothing to do with each other. And it's also a lie to think that what goes on in, our, in, in government has nothing to do with what we do in the church house. And just go, you, I'll tell you what, just travel to some of these countries around the world today. Travel to communist China and you're going to find out the government has a lot to do with what's going on in the church house. Because Christianity as you and I know it is outlawed in, in, in China. And churches like this are not allowed to, ex to exist. Churches, true believers, and there's many true believers, and thank God for them. But they are operating essentially underground. And, uh, and they live in fear uh, of going to uh, a prison for their faith in many, many cases. And that's true in countries around the world. Why is that? Because of their government. So government does affect these things, and God has blessed us with representative government. We still have our liberty today. We need to use our liberty while we have our liberty to preserve our liberty with God's help. And as we're going to see in the message today, it requires uh, God's help. And I'll share this one thing. You say, well, what about uh, California? How can, you know, what good can be done? Number one, uh, bad laws can be stopped. When you're in a state like California with a really secular humanist a dominant worldview in your government, uh, you can stop. Believers can still shine the light on bad legislation and with God's help and by God's divine intervention, see that legislation prevent it uh, from becoming law. And we have seen that with some bills even this year uh, that were stopped. Secondly, uh, you can diminish the damage of bad legislation. He mentioned, uh, the pastor mentioned the bill that would have basically required department stores, large department stores to be gender neutral uh, in their clothing departments, in their children's toy department. And uh, that's how that bill started out uh, last spring. It did get signed. It did pass. It did get signed into law. But understand, when a bill is is, is, uh, begins its journey in your state house, it starts in one chamber or the other, and then it goes through committees, one committee, two committees, maybe as many as three committees, and before the one chamber, the assembly or the Senate votes on it, then it goes over and runs through that whole process in the other chamber, and those committee meetings, they amend it. They make this change, they change this, uh, and they, they make the bill you know, either worse or better, depending on what, how you're looking at it. But it's, it's changed many times. And as it passed and as it was signed by the governor recently, that bill requires large department stores to have a gender neutral toy section. But unlike the original version, it still allows for boys toys department, a girls toys department, and it totally eliminated the requirement regarding clothing being intermixed. So that was totally removed from the bill. Now that wasn't because those with a secular humanist worldview uh, came up to that conclusion. That was because of pressure from folks who shone the light on this thing and said, man, this is, imagine, fellas, imagine going to buy a pair of socks and, uh, and, and everything is mixed together. Amen. Just hope that nobody has a camera taking a picture of you walking down the aisle. Amen. And, uh, but I'm just saying the confusion that would create and folks said, hey, this is crazy. And uh, so that that did get uh, diminished. So that can be done as well. And so uh, so we need to be involved as believers and uh, using our liberty uh, while we have it. Ephesians chapter six, verse number 12. Again, appreciate the opportunity to be with you folks. Appreciate your pastor and that God blessed him uh, and uh, let him come back uh, from Dubai. And uh, glad to hear he's not going back there anytime soon. Amen. And uh, staying home. But, uh, but I'm glad that God spared his life. And uh, I was pretty much, we were here. The interesting thing is when I was here in February, the Sunday that we were here, uh, that next Monday, we got on a plane, went to Iowa, and that's when the pastor got on a plane and went to Dubai. And I didn't call him again until June. Didn't hear from him. We were busy with what we're doing. And, and, uh, but in June, something came up, and I said, I'm going to call Brother Sidlowski and see how he's doing. Well, I didn't realize he had been at death's door and back. And uh, he had seen the bright light, amen. And uh, but I was glad, thankful. He was still still not doing nearly as well then as he is now. But thankful God spared his life. And uh, I was thinking about that in the context of this message. 
this morning, how God intervened. I think you told me that the doctor came with kind of an experimental drug. And, uh, and it was kind of like, you know, you have, nothing, you have nothing. When they tell you at the hospital, you have nothing to lose. That is not a good, uh, <laughs> that's not the, what you want to hear. But, uh, but you know what? I believe, I believe it. And they use that. And that's kind of then you'd begin to turn around after that. You know what? I believe that was God's answering the prayers of you folks back here in the church. I don't just say, well, that was a coincidence. I'll tell you what. Uh, I believe that was God uh, working through the prayers of, uh, of you folks uh, back here. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't, even know, I didn't even know what was going on. So, uh, but, uh, but I'm glad that he's with us. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says here, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Notice this against spiritual wickedness, notice, in high places. We'll come back, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But spiritual wickedness in high places. Lord, we come to you this morning. I pray now that you would meet with us. I pray your Holy Spirit would challenge us with the truth from your word that we need today. And we'll thank you for it, for we ask in your name. Amen. I want us to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3. We're going to kind of skim through the book we're going to come back to Ephesians uh, 6, 12, and, but we're going to kind of lay some groundwork uh, to ex- help us better understand that verse and better apply that verse. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3, and it says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, notice, in heavenly places in Christ. Now, if you go down for verses 3 to 14, it tells us what the spiritual blessings are. And thank God for his spiritual blessings. By the way, every believer has access to the same spiritual blessings. We don't have access to all the same material blessings. Some folks in this life have more. Some folks have less. And, uh, and you know what? If we're not careful, we get our eyes focused on that, on, well, who's got more here? Folks, listen, we're only here for a short time. The good news for believers, we've all got access to the same spiritual blessings. You know what? The gold streets in front of my mansion are going to be just as gold as the gold streets in front of your mansion. Amen. And, uh, and all this thing about he has more or less or whatever. Folks, when we leave this world, we're going to realize just how foolish that was to be overly focused on that. And thank God for material things. I I like material blessings like anybody else, but they are temporal. But we have here spiritual blessings. He gives us a few of them here, and I'm just going to run through them, list them for you. Number one, that he has chosen us. Thank God somebody got the gospel to me. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, let me tell you something. God wants you to be saved. Jesus died on the cross for you. And, but you have to make that choice to accept him and receive him as your Savior. And I hope you'll do that and you'll be among those who have been chosen. So God has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has abounded toward us. He has made, unto, made known unto us the mystery of his will. These are things you find in verses 3 to 14. The mystery of his will has been revealed. And that's that we will spend eternity with him in heaven and enjoying his blessings. He has sealed us with his spirit. And it's all for the praise of his glory. Well, we need to remember that, folks. He saved us to the praise of his glory, not the praise of our glory. And going back to verse 3, those spiritual blessings are, as we saw, in heavenly places. Now, that's an important phrase as we move through the book here quickly. We'll see it used repeatedly. It's translated from a word that means high places. Now, follow me this morning. Our God is the God of high places. You think of heaven, you don't think of a low place. You think of it being up. It is a high place. God is seated on the highest place in the universe. Isaiah 6.1, Isaiah wrote, he said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Where was that throne? High and lifted up. God occupies the high place. 
God met with Moses on top of a mountain, Mount Sinai. We see this in God's interactions with man. Uh, Many of them took place in physically high places, Mount Sinai. We think about Abraham who offered Isaac on Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem was later uh, constructed and remains to this day. And if you go to Israel, you will talk, when you talk about Jerusalem, it's always going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem sits on a mountaintop. It is a physically high place. <clears throat> Abraham uh, met with Mo- Isaac there. Uh, Isaac on Mount Moriah took him there. Dr- Jesus took the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus himself had the habit of going into the mountains to pray into a high place. Our God is a God of the high places. Number two, God wants to control the high places of our lives. He wants to control the high places. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing. We cast down any high thing that prevents God from holding that high place in our lives, the Bible says. In our thought life, getting rid of thoughts that are contrary to Scripture, contrary to God's truth. Cast those things down and putting God in the high place. Preachers have often proposed the question, who sits on the throne of your heart? Now, why do we use that analogy? Because we are thinking of, we're trying to get the picture across that God wants the high place in our lives. He wants, we often put it this way, God wants first place in our lives. Well, I'll tell you what, that's what, we, you know, back in the days before Sunday became just another day of the week for so many folks, we used to make the point that Sunday's the first day of the week and we ought, on the first day of the week, we ought to put the Lord in first place, the high place, we ought to be in church on Sunday. And I thank God for you folks who are, who are here today and, uh, and putting God in first place. That's comparable to the high place. And God wants the high place in our lives. Moving on in the chapter, we find God's prayer for the saints based on the spiritual blessings. There's two prayers in the book uh, that are just really uh, great prayers. You know, so many times we're folk, when we think about prayer in the Bible, we think about the Lord's Prayer and thank God for the Lord's Prayer. And we ought to pray the Lord's Prayer, not out of vain tradition and not without thinking about it. And, uh, you know, we, I, I often think about folks repeating the Lord's Prayer and they say, you know, we're we ask God to forgive us as we forgive others. Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't forgive other people, do not pray the Lord's Prayer, all right? Because what you're doing, you're asking the Lord not to forgive you, all right? So don't do that. And, uh, but, uh, but, but forgive first. So sometimes we just get in these vain repetitions, but there's two prayers that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians. This is the first one that I want us to notice here. He says, pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So number one, he says, pray for wisdom. Folks, I'll tell you what, I need wisdom. We all need wisdom. You know why we need wisdom? And we need wisdom from God and why God can give us wisdom? For one thing, God knows tomorrow. You know, last time I was here, it was pretty much just like this. I preached... Brother Sedlowski had, pastor had no idea what lay ahead. I had no idea what, but you know what? God did. God spared his life. But you know what? God knows what lies ahead for your, in, for your life tomorrow. This morning I was, uh, uh, preached the morning, uh, this message in, in the morning service. And a lady went by and she, she shared with us on her way out, who was here this morning. She says, you know what? My husband had passed away and I was having just a really difficult time. She said, and I prayed, and she said, and boy, all of a sudden, God gave me the strength to move forward. Now, how do we explain that? We explain that with the fact that uh, God is available to us, as we'll see. He will strengthen us and encourage us. He's available. He is there for us. He says, pray for wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding. Boy, we need that. We need God's understanding. How many times we say, I just don't understand. Well, God understands, and he can give us understanding. Being enlightened, look, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. Three things he says he wants you to know. The hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. And then look at verse number 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power 
to usward who believe. So he lists three things here. We don't have time to go into the first two, but this third one I want us to notice. He says, I am praying that you will understand the greatness of God's power. The power of God. And that's the second thing I want to focus our attention on this morning. The first is heavenly places, the high places. The second thing that we're going to see repeatedly throughout the the book here as we move through it quickly. The second is power. And in this case, the Greek word power, the first time it's used in verse number 19, we'll see it's used again. But the first time it comes from a Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. Now, folks, when you think of dynamite, you know, how many like to set off firecrackers on the 4th of July. Anybody do that here? All right. Some pyromaniacs. Amen. Let's hold up our fingers. Amen. Are they all still there? And, uh, but uh, if I were to invite you over to my house on the 4th of July and uh, I say, hey, come on over. We got some stuff. We're going to, you know, shoot some stuff off. And I came uh, and I came out in the yard there and I had a bag and I opened up and here are these, you know, sticks about a foot long and one or two inches in diameter. And you said, man, what's that? I said, oh, it's dynamite. You'd say, you know, I think I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> Amen. And uh, dynamite is serious stuff. And, uh, and the Bible says, and, and it uses this word when it talks about the power of God. It's the same word from which we get our word dynamite. And interestingly, when that word is used in the New Testament, of course, the New Testament originally written in the Greek. When that word is used, it's talking about the greatest form of power that there is every time it's used and it's a reference therefore to God's power and that's the point the greatest power there is in the world is God's power now we're going to see that word power used repeatedly through the book here but it's not always going to come from that word dynamite and that's significant or that word dunamis that from which we get our word dynamite and that's significant as we'll see moving forward but coming back to the point He's talking about the power of God, the dynamite of God, but the point is that power is critically important. If we were to turn the power off in here today, and all of a sudden the lights went out, and the PA quit working, and the air conditioning quit working, and all these things, folks, that we just kind of, you know, we just kind of accept is the way it's going to be. But if the power went out, it would change the whole service. Power is important. Power is important at your home. And if you ever have the power go out, and, you, and I'll tell you what, in this uh, technical generation that we live, uh, the more technical a society becomes, the more fragile it becomes. And I'll tell you what, you pull the plug, and uh, once in a while we have storms go through Iowa, and I'll tell you, the power will go off, and there's not much, not much happens anymore uh, in civilized America when the power goes off. Power is important. It is the energy that is required to do what would otherwise be impossible. And folks, whether we're referencing the earthly realm or the physical realm, without power, you can't do anything. And the power that's been extended to us as believers is not just your average power. Look again at verse number 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? The dynamite to us word. It's been given to us who believe, uh, and look what he says, it's according to the working of God, of his mighty power, God's mighty power. And that second word power comes from the Greek word kratos, which means dominion. In other words, it's more powerful than all other forms of power. This mighty power of God, and that's the point he's making, this mighty power of God is exceedingly powerful. The source of this power is from God. It has dominion over all other powers superior to them. And then in verse number 20, God gives us an example of what this power can do. Kind of like if you have a bunch of firecrackers and you say, man, this one's really powerful. Let me give you an example of what it can do. And you light it off and boom, and it's bigger than every other boom that went off that. The power. God says, look, I'm going to give you an example of what the power of God has done. And we find that illustration in verse number 20, which he wrought in Christ. When, when did he do that? 
when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, notice where he set him, in what? The heavenly places, the high place. So Paul here is trying to get across the importance of this power of God, how we need this power of God, how he's praying for the power of God to be in the believers. And he's saying, look, this is the power that raised Christ from the dead. It is the power of all powers. And folks, I believe this. I believe that the greatest example of the use of power of all time and eternity was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and putting him back at the right hand of God. Now, as I was thinking about this, when I was first thinking about this message, I thought to myself, the power of the resurrection. And then I thought, why didn't Paul use the example of the power of creation? You ever thought about the the power it took to create the world and everything in it? And by the way, it takes a whole lot more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe that God created the world. Amen. But the power that it would take to create all of this out of nothing. But here's why I believe, and I won't argue this with somebody, and I don't have a verse on this, but I'm just going to tell you what I believe, why I think Paul used this example of power and not the power of the creation. And that's because at creation, when God created the world, there was no resistance to what God was doing that we're aware of. God did it. No resistance against it. But when God raised Satan or raised Christ from the dead, all the power of Satan was pushing against it. We're going to see that power came from God was power that was granted to Satan from God. But it was a resistance against it, trying to keep him in the grave. And you know, Satan, as, as crazy as it is, I mean, Satan was trying to accomplish that with a great big stone. Why do you think they had, they had that, the devil was involved in this whole thing? Why do you think he had that great big stone? Because he's trying to keep Jesus from coming back out of that grave. And here he's using a great big stone and God created the whole earth. In other words, he should have seen this coming. Amen. <laughs> it wasn't going to work. But, but that's what he was trying to do. But he was trying to keep him from, not just from being resurrected, but certainly also from keeping him from ascending back up to heaven and seated at the right hand of God. But God did that with his power. And folks, here's here's what the, the point of the passage is this great power, this exceeding great power is available to you and to me. That's the point he's trying to get across. Look at verse 21. Tells us how this power has dominion. It's far above all principality. It's very similar to verse number 12 in chapter 6. We read this get started. But this power of God is far above all principality and power. By the way, that word power there is exosia. It's authority. It's above that power. Authority is granted. And uh, it's above that kind of power and above might. That is the word dynamite, but it's talking about the, the most powerful things in this world. And dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So again, the source of this power that's available to you and me is the, is the greatest source of power ever. In Iowa, we have... Windmills. Do they have windmills around here generating electricity? So in Iowa, interesting, which is not nearly the size of the state of uh, California, but in Iowa now we have over 4,000 windmills in Iowa, mostly in the farm fields and thankfully mostly not around us. I just, I don't know how well, I don't know how the farmers want to live with these blinking red lights all night, every night. But uh, I do know because they get paid for that. But um, but the, <laughs> the point is this, we drive through those wind farms when we're traveling and most of the time those things are spinning just fine but there are times you drive through an entire wind wind farm and not a blade is turning and folks therein lies the problem with wind power the source cannot be guaranteed but folks I'm telling you the power of God it is a guaranteed source and that's the power that is available to us. You go down to Ephesians chapter 2 and it talks about the power of God being the power that saved us. And look in verse number uh, 2, well verse number 1, and you hath he quickened or made alive with this power who were dead in trespasses and sin. Folks, we're not saved by our own power. 
By the way, what's the devil try to get people who have some kind of spiritual inclination, what's the lie he gets them to believe? That they can save themselves. Folks, you can't save yourself. You don't have the power to save yourself. We're sinners. We cannot save ourselves, but we can be quickened or made alive through the power of God who were dead in trespasses and sin. Look at verse number two. We're in, in time past. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince. Notice this. The prince of the power of the air. He's saying before you were saved, you were under another power. The prince of the power of the air. Who's that talking about? That's talking about Satan. But the interesting thing is this. That word power doesn't come from the word dunamis. It comes from that word exosia, which means authority. And folks, authority is granted. If you're driving too fast here in town and, uh, and you get pulled over by a police officer from this city, uh, he has been granted, he's just another citizen, but he is a citizen who has been granted authority to do what he's doing. Every once in a while on the internet or somewhere you'll read a story about somebody who impersonated a police officer. And they're the ones that ultimately get arrested and thrown in jail because they were not given the authority. But God has granted in his sovereignty, he's granted Satan a certain measure of power. So folks, the point is this, Satan is not someone to be fooled around with. He has a, a certain amount of power. And though his power is inferior to the power of God, his power is superior to the power of our flesh. Folks, you know what? Christians can get addicted to sin just like the unsaved. If we just quit living in the power of the Spirit of God, we start living in the power of the flesh, and we don't tap into the power we're talking about this morning, we can be dominated by the devil's power. The devil is no one to play around with. He does have real power. But the good news is we have access to a greater power. I was watching the songs we were singing this morning. It's amazing to me how oftentimes, even in the songs, we talk about this power that is available to us through Christ to overcome the devil. But this was the, the power of Satan. It's a power that has been granted to him. But again, our, the power given to us exceeds that. Look in verse number 6 of chapter 2. And speaking of those who've been saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So through the power of God, we have been raised up to into these same, spiritually speaking, heavenly places. And then he begins to tell us why he did that. Verses chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. We don't have time to go into it this morning. But he gives us some reasons why God has granted us this power. We come to chapter 3. We see Paul's role in revealing the great truth, that great truth to the Gentiles. Skip down, though, to verse number 7. Paul says this, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. That's the dynamis power right there. Here's the point. All the amazing things Paul did for God, Paul says, look, that was just the power of God working through me. It wasn't my power. That was the power of God. And folks, I'll just say this. Anything we're going to do for God is going to have to come through the power of God. God working in the church, God working in our lives. You know what we need? We don't need the power of the flesh. We need God's power. Because that's the power that changes lives and changes hearts. Skip down to verse number 16. Here's another prayer. By Paul for the believer. Look what he says. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might. That's the dynamis. By his spirit in the inner man. So Paul's praying for believers to be strengthened with the power of God. Folks, that's a good prayer. We ought to be praying for believers who are struggling. We ought to be praying, Lord, strengthen them in their inner man with your power. You know what the problem is with somebody who's starting to backslide? They're not tapped into the power of God. And we as believers need to be praying for them. As Paul said, look, I'm praying for you to be strengthened with that might by the Spirit of God, with that power in the inner man. Skip down to verse number 20. Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, 
Notice this, according to the power, and that's the dynamis power, that's the dynamite power, the power of God, according to the power that worketh where? Where does that power work? In us, in the believer. Folks, here again is the point. You and I have access to the power of God. God wants to let his power work in us and through us. The exceeding power that works in us above all. And by the way, notice it says above all that we ask or think. How many here ever run into something, a problem that is bigger? You say, boy, I just, I don't have an answer to that. Amen. The older I get, I tell folks, the older I get, the less I know. Amen. <laughs> and uh, ah, you run into problems. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how we solve that. But you know what? The power of God's available for it. In your home, in your marriage, in your children, in your grown children, at work, at school. I don't know. What am I going to do? I'll tell you what. The power of God's available. God can change things above all that we ask or think. In government, how many would say, boy, I don't know about government, <clears throat> whether it's on a local level, state level. That, how many would agree with me right now on the national level? I don't know. Boy, I'll tell you what, I don't know. But you know what? It's not too big for God. His power is available above all that we ask or think. God's able to do it. Now, chapters 4 down through chapter 6 and half of chapter 6 can all be summed up in verse number 1 of chapter 4 where he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye, notice this, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now that vocation is talking about the calling of God and he's been explaining that to us all the way up to this point and talking about the fact that we have been given this power of God that God wants us to use in our lives. And now he's saying, look, you need to walk worthy of that. Do we have any electricians in the service this morning? All right, got a couple of fellows. You're the first two electricians in a Baptist church I've met in about five or six Baptist churches, amen? And, uh, but, uh, but you know what? I don't, I've never been to electrical school, but I'm just guessing, when, or, or where they where teach all about, they can get your license and all that, but I'm just guessing they spend quite a bit of time not just teaching you about what you should do, but warning you about what you should not do. Is that accurate? Do they warn you and say, look, don't do this, don't do that? Don't the other. You know why? Because if you're going to be an electrician, you need to have respect for the power. You need, if they're going to give you that license, you need to walk worthy of that license. You need to uh, say, look, I've, I've got, there's some things I've learned that I will not do. I will not stand in water and work in an electrical box. Amen. Amen. Just don't do that. And don't do this. And don't do the other. And when somebody down the row says, hey, the power's off, take that little uh, tester out of your pocket and test it first. How many have one of those little testers? You may not be an electrician, but you got one of those little testers. Amen. You know why you got one of those little testers? Probably because there was one time when you didn't have the tester and the guy said it was off. Amen. And now you've got a tester. Amen. And, uh, and you test it and to say, hey, it's not, still not off. Why? Because you have respect for the power. And folks, God's told us all about this great power. But listen, as believers, we have to walk worthy. If God is going to work through us, through our families, through our homes, through our marriages, through our church, through our school, and through our government, if God is going to influence and work through that, we as believers must have respect for the power of God. We must walk worthy of the power of God. And so if you go down through chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6, much of those chapters are telling us what we should not be doing as believers. You know, a lot of Christians are upset today as soon as the pastor gets up and says, now look, as a Christian, you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't go there, and you shouldn't have this fellowship with this kind of a person. You should say no to this and no to that. And everybody's like, oh, that's legalism. Well, go to, you know, school where they train electricians and as soon as they start telling them don't do this and don't do that oh you're a bunch of legalists in here no they're teaching you to have respect for the power and folks if we want God's power flowing through us we are going to have to live lives that are holy and pure and clean God cannot use dirty vessels his power will not flow through dirty vessels 
That brings us down to chapter 6 and verse number 10. Skip down there. And he gets all done explaining that, teaching us how to walk worthy. And he gets down to verse number 10. He says, finally, my brethren. So he's coming down to the end. Be strong. That's the word dynamis there, a form of it. In the Lord and in the power, the dominion of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Then he comes back to verse 12, our text verse. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. Notice this, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness. Where? In high places. There's the high places again. Now, folks, here's the point. God wants to control the high places, but there's someone else who wants to control the high places, and that's the devil. He wants the high places. In fact, if you go back to Isaiah where we learn about Satan being thrown out of heaven, before that happened, what did he say? He said this, I will ascend, high, talking about going up, high place. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the south. No, in the sides of the north, because the north is up. It's a high place. Devil wants a high place. He continued, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like, the devil said, I will be like the most high. The devil wants the high places. He wants God's place. But that didn't work out so well for him. And he got kicked out of heaven because of that. And now he's down here on the earth. And folks, I'm telling you, he wants to control the high places here on the earth. He wants to control the high place in your home. He wants to dominate your home. He wants to control the high place in your life. He wants to dominate your heart. He wants to get you under the control and the influence of sin in your life. He wants to control the school, the church. He wants to control, folks, the places of government. You know what government is? You study that word out. That word is affiliated with power. Government is power. We've all found that out in the last year and a half. Government is power. The devil, some folks say, well, you know, God's not interested in government. Wait a minute. When Antichrist comes, he's not coming to form a club. He's coming to set up to get all the governments of the world together and set himself as Antichrist over the governments of the world. And praise God, when Christ comes back, you know what he's going to do? He's going to destroy in a split second the government of Satan. And what's he going to do? He is going to set up a government. God is very interested in government. But government is power. And Satan wants to control the powers of government. As I travel the country and I'm in different uh, capitals and, from, and, and uh, one, uh, once a year or so down in Washington, D.C., at the meeting we have down there in the uh, capital in D.C. By the way, I wasn't, I wasn't, no, I wasn't there on January 6th, all right? But, uh, but anyway, in the, in the uh, capital in D.C., they have those big domes. Isn't that interesting? The domes over the capitals. You've got a dome, a beautiful dome on your capital uh, up in uh, Sacramento. By the way, they're tearing down all of the, all of the legislator offices, that whole building, I've heard, is going to be torn down and rebuilt. And they're moving all the offices out there. You guys must have more money out here than I realize. But they're not tearing down the old capital, but everything else is, is literally going to be torn down from what I was just told yesterday. But, uh, so anyway, uh, but they have these domes. And you think about that dome. And as I have stood in uh, Iowa in the Capitol building there in Iowa, we have a large dome and most of our work and effort, unlike here in California, is done inside the rotunda with legislators. So we're out there uh, a lot of the time and you look up into that big dome and you, I, I've thought to myself, I wonder if we could see with spiritual eyes if there is a spiritual battle going on in that space between the forces of Satan and the forces of God. I've had legislators come to me over the years, Christian legislators come to me and say to me in standing under that dome, and I, they, don't, they, don't, they aren't making that connection there, but they have said to me this, they have said there is an evil spirit in this place today. Folks, the devil wants the powers of government. 
You think, interestingly, just to follow that thought through, you go all the way over there to Israel today, to Jerusalem, to the uh, Dome of the Rock. And that dome that sits there now, controlled by the Muslims, on the temple uh, spot where the temple, we believe the temple, uh, once sat. And you think about that, and there is a dome there. But folks, the point is this. God wants to, or the devil wants to control the high places. He wants that control. But the good news is we have power that is stronger than his power. It's a battle, not of flesh and blood, as Ephesians 6.12 makes clear, but a spiritual battle of an enemy who is seeking to control the high places of this world. And so, let me finish this up. What's he say here? Put on the whole armor of God. You come down through here and do battle. But he comes down to verse number, chapter number 6, verse number 18. Follow me now and I'm finished with this. Because here's the thing with power. We could, have all, we could have this building hooked up to all the power it needs to run the lights, the air conditioning, the, uh, every, every other system that's operating here as we speak today. We could have that all hooked up. But if we didn't have it turned on, if we weren't plugged into it, it wouldn't do us any good. How many here you're working on a project and you, you know, maybe you're uh, working in the, in the uh, garage and you're cutting some plywood or you got the circular saw and the jigsaw and all the other saws laying out there. And, but you pick up, you switch from one saw to the other and you get your mark all lined up and you're ready to go and, and you got it all held down in the right place and you pull the trigger and nothing happens. You've got all the power accessible. What happened? You never plugged into it. And folks, can I tell you something as believers? If we are not plugged in to the power of God, though it's accessible, though it's there, though it could be ours if we wanted it, if we're not plugged into it, it will not benefit us. So how do you get plugged in? Look at verse number 18. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know what the devil wants us to believe? He wants us to believe that prayer doesn't do anything. Do you know what prayer is? Prayer is plugging in. Now, folks, when you pick up that plug and the, to the, whatever appliance it is you're trying to use or whatever tool, and you plug it in, you're not, you're not making the electricity flow through there. You're not the electrical power. You're just, you have to do that, though, to access the power. You could say, well, Plugging that plug in, that doesn't cut the board. No, it doesn't cut the board. But if you're not plugged in, you'll never cut the board because you've got to access the power. And folks, listen, we've got to plug in. We've got to pray always with all prayer and supplication. I literally believe from what I've heard of your pastor and how ill he was and how bad things were. I believe it was the prayer of God's people over here. That directed that doctor to put the folks... You know, we, we, you know, when God does work, I think sometimes we just, we unfortunately just, you know, dismiss God from the equation. But you understand, you had to have the doctor at the right place at the right time who knew about that medication and had access to that medication and had the thought to try to use that medication at that moment that God used to deliver your pastor. I think that was God's people praying. And folks, you know what? I believe we would be amazed if we would just start praying. I believe in California. I believe God can work in the state capitol. I believe God can change things. But I'll tell you this. I can promise you this. If we don't get plugged into the power of God, if we don't walk worthy of the power of believers, if we're out here living like the devil, God's going to say, hey, if you're living like the heathen, why do, you want, how, why do you want to be delivered from them? But I think if we're worthy of the power understand it, and get plugged into it, I believe that God can do great and mighty things that far exceed anything we could ever ask or think. Let's pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Lord, we come to you this morning. I thank you for this time. We can look into your word, and I pray now that you would work in our hearts, and we'll thank you for it. Pastor, you come. Eyes closed. I wonder this morning if 
there would be one here who say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not sure of my eternal home. I know that God, I've heard about God. I've heard the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. But I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I'm, I'm plugged in when it comes to salvation. We had a young teenage boy saved this week in chapel at the school. He's been here, you know, before. He's heard the gospel, but he understood. And he said, no, I'm not, I'm not sure. And he prayed and asked Jesus to save him. If that's you this morning, I'd like to just say a word of prayer for you as we close this portion of the service. You say, Pastor Slavsky, pray for me. I'm not sure. If I died, then I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure if Jesus came back today, I'd go to heaven and be with him. But pray for me. I'd like to know that for sure. Would you lift your hand? Is there one? Heads are bowed, the eyes are closed. Is there one say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Just pray for me. I'd like to know that for sure. Is there one? If you're listening online, whether here in the auditorium, I want you to know that God loves you. And Jesus died for you. And he rose again the third day. He's alive forevermore. In his power, he's coming back one day. Open your heart to him. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the truth of the Bible. Guide our steps. We love you, God. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing, I have decided to follow.